Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing Nestle acquiring Seattle's best coffee brand from Starbucks and some food safety best practices learned from the COVID pandemic. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com. And this week, I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start off, us off with a story about a pretty major uh, acquisition that happened last week. So Nestle said that it was going to be acquiring the Seattle's best coffee brand from none other than Starbucks. And this will further strengthen the Nescafe and Nespresso owners coffee business in the U.S., of course, Nestle, you know, the world's largest pa- packaged food maker, and it, it already sells a wide range of packaged coffee in grocery stores and food service locations. It did not disclose the terms of the deal, but it is expected to close before the end of the year. And if I could take an educated guess, I would say it was probably in the billions, maybe not, maybe not multiple billions, but I feel like it could be pretty close. Um, Now, David Rennie, who is the head of Nestle Coffee Brands, said in a press release, our partnership with Starbucks has confirmed Nestle's leading position in the dynamic and growing global coffee market. He said, with the well-known Seattle's best coffee brand, we will continue to build our relationship in in coffee by offering consumers more choice for their everyday coffee. So if you've never heard of it before, Seattle's Best, it was founded in 1970 as a more approachable line of coffee, and it generally offers lower price points than its flagship Starbucks brand. The Seattle's Best Coffee business, which includes whole bean, roast, and uh, ground packaged coffee, as well as K-Cups, it was originally acquired by Starbucks back in 2003. So this current acquisition will allow Nestle to add Seattle's Best Coffee to the Global Coffee Alliance, which is a partnership between Nestle and Starbucks that was formed in 2018. Now, since then, this perpetual licensing agreement between the two companies has allowed Nestle to sell and distribute some Starbucks products at retail and food service locations outside of Starbucks stores and all around the world. So in terms of what Nestle paid for this, um, it paid Starbucks $7.15 billion as part of the agreement and made $3.09 billion selling Starbucks products in 80 markets around the world in 2021 alone. So Michael Conway, who's the group president of Starbucks International uh, and Chana channel development said we continue to deepen our partnership with nestle to deliver the best of the starbucks experience to our customers in channels outside of our retail stores and we're confident that nestle will continue to grow the seattle's best coffee brand as we focus on our strategy to elevate the premium coffee experience for consumers through the starbucks brand So Nestle group sales uh, climbed uh, 9.2% to nearly $69 billion in the first nine months of the year, boosted by price hikes across a range of products. However, coffee sales have actually shrunk from double-digit percentage growth in 2021 to single digits so far this year. And the sale of Nestle's flagship Nespresso coffee pods have grown only 0.4% to $4.7 billion. 
But despite this, coffee has been a consistently strong point in Nestle's portfolio, which ranges widely from confectionery and bottled water to supplements and even pet food. And last year, coffee products contributed more than $25 billion, or approximately 27% of Nestle's total sales. And of course, this acquisition comes amid an ongoing coffee shortage that we talked about a few weeks ago um, taking place in Brazil, Vietnam, uh, which are the two world's largest coffee producers. And coffee giants like Starbucks and Nestle will absorb those um, price hikes and then pass them on to the consumer, unfortunately. And while Seattle's best coffee has always been a lower cost alternative to Starbucks, its prices could rise as a result um, of the shortage and or the acquisition. Um, so first, I just wanted to ask you guys, um, first, have you heard of, had you ever heard of Seattle's Best Coffee? I know we're in Canada and I don't know if they actually sell it here, but then again, I am nothing of a coffee connoisseur at all, so I don't know. Um, and second, my second question is when you think of Nestle, like I said, which is like the world's largest, um, packaged food maker, is there a one product specifically that stands out to you? So we'll, we'll start with that first question. Have you heard of Seattle's Best? I never heard of Seattle's Best, but I know that the first Starbucks that was ever opened was in Seattle. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought of too. I think Seattle has has come to be known as like America's coffee capital. I want to say thanks to Starbucks. I don't think any specific for any specific reason other than that. Um, so I, I think it's actually a pretty cute name for it. Um, even though the company actually came to be before Starbucks acquired it in 2003. But yeah, I, I hadn't heard of it either. But I thought that same thing. Um, but I don't know, I think of chocolate too. Yeah. Yes, I was just going to say that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think Nestle chocolate. <laughs> So I guess coffee isn't too far off from that. Yeah, both come from beans. Um, <laughs> and, and I asked this question because, um, you know, after seeing that coffee made up 27% of Nestle's total sales last year, that is a significant amount of sales um, mm -hmm. for a company that sells so many types of different foods. And, and to be honest, I didn't really think of coffee first. I did kind of think of like chocolate bars and, and the various chocolate brands that, that Nestle sells. But obviously, coffee is a really huge part of the business. For sure, yeah. Yeah, Nescafe. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, and then you start thinking, you're like, oh, yes, mm -hmm. huge, huge, right? So um, I didn't know that it also owns Nespresso, actually. It's all the Ness, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> all the Ness, yes. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hadn't really heard of Seattle's best either. I think vaguely, maybe in passing somewhere. But again, like we're up in Canada. So I hope our American audience can forgive <laughs> us for that. But um, yeah, it's very interesting how Seattle has a long standing connection with coffee, with the first Starbucks there. So um, yeah, and it's um, interesting that Starbucks let go of it too to nestle so it's uh, must have been a very big and lucrative deal i would I imagine even though it, they didn't disclose it maybe we'll we'll get a peak of that soon although they both agreed uh you know to keep it confidential um but it, this story also just made me think of how much more complex the coffee business is behind the scenes than than we realize you know like you'll see um those i don't know if you ever see these in the grocery store but uh, many grocery stores sell starbucks products and you think oh well you know okay i guess starbucks has like this retail channel and then 
I find out that Starbucks and Nestle have this partnership, um, this like licensing agreement. So it could be Nestle that's selling the Starbucks products, right? Um, and it's making them billions of dollars. And this was like a multi-billion dollar agreement. Um, so not everything is, is as it seems. I don't know. It was just, it's a lot more complex than, than I thought. At the same time, it's it, it, like, I don't really know who else is dominating the market aside from these two companies. So it seems like they have a very strong monopoly over both the coffee, like the, in retail and, uh, you know, in, in food service as well. And then maybe they're working together to maintain that monopoly, right? Because we all, you know, we often think that like big companies, competitors are always like, going head to head and at each other's throats. But you know what, like in, in that multi-billion dollar world, um, there's probably a lot more going on. Um, and you know, you have partnerships and, um, you know, just businesses trying to help each other out to help themselves out at the You're end so of the day. You're so right. You're so right. Like they could have easily gone head to head with each other, even though, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, even though we think Starbucks and we, we think mostly going into a store and buying a coffee and we think Nestle, maybe coffee that you, uh, in various forms that you buy at the grocery store. But this mm -hmm. was obviously a very strategic agreement um, to sort of yes. go grab yeah. all of the uh, consumer base that they possibly could. Um, and yeah. you know what? They've still maintained, um, you know, their individual brands. It's not like they have lost the loyalty of their individual like consumer base. They're, they're still very much two separate brands. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh, that that's a great point. Yeah, it's like they're trying to capitalize on Starbucks's brand and then Nestle's like distribution mm -hmm. abilities. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, mm hmm. So Really, what I'm most curious about in the future of, of Seattle's Best is, you know, how this um, acquisition will affect prices. Because like I said, Seattle's Best has always been, you know, a bit cheaper, um, just more of an approachable coffee brand. Um, so I'm wondering if it being acquired by Starbucks is, is oh, sorry, it being acquired by Nestle is going to uh, either make it, you know, go up or make it go down um, or stay the same. And it might not just be because of the acquisition. It might be, like I said, because of the shortage, because of inflation, many other things. Obviously, coffee is like one of those very uh, volatile businesses in the food industry. Uh, and, and at the same time, one of the most sought after ones as well. So we'll see where that goes. Now next, um, I'm going to talk about some of the lessons um, that we learned from COVID-19 in terms of food safety best practices. So there was a review that was published recent recently in the Journal of Public Health Management and Practice that revealed some of these challenges of conducting retail food inspections during the pandemic, as well as the lessons learned regarding food safety best practices. So the review explains how local health departments can prioritize retail food regulations if unprecedented public health emergencies occur in the future, which I sincerely hope they do not. Now, the routine food safety inspections experienced significant disruption, as you can imagine, throughout the pandemic. And this was because of reduced staffing, along with shifting priorities, posed serious challenges for maintaining food safety best practices, and really made it difficult for local health departments to conduct routine food safety inspections. Um, and... 
you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I know we have a different system here in Canada, but I, if you've ever, you know, visited a restaurant in the States, sometimes they'll have um, signs in their window that that have a rating in terms of food safety. It's often A, B, C. I don't even know if they go down to D. Um, but I, I know that these are um, very important uh, for, you know, public health. And there was a severe lack of these inspections going on during the pandemic. So a contamination at a retail establishment, it actually does have the potential to greatly impact public health. And that's why it's crucial that these inspections are performed on a regular basis in order to promote food safety consumption and prevent foodborne illness outbreaks. And not long into the pandemic, it became increasingly important to explore ways to overcome these challenges. So the review, it identified five areas of difficulty that impacted food safety best practices at the local level during the pandemic. So the first one, difficulty prioritizing routine food safety inspections, like I talked about. So the National Association of County and City Health Officials, or the NACCHO, reported difficulties among local health departments in prioritizing routine retail food regulatory actions due to staff being pulled for pandemic response activities and generally insufficient staffing. And the second one is challenges with conducting virtual inspections. So, you know, all of all, most of the work that we did in our office, a lot of it moved virtual and it doesn't just apply to us too. It applied to obviously doing these food safety inspections, but the NACCHO reported hesitancy in adopting virtual inspections due to mistrust in technology's ability to function, lack of president and very sorry, lack of precedent and varied virtual inspection rules between jurisdictions. And I don't blame them. If, if it hadn't been done before, I would understand why they're wary of doing this. The third is distrust of public health. So this one is kind of disturbing, but according to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, approval of the U.S. public health system declined from 43% to 34% between 2009 and 2021. And obviously 2009, it, you know, the pandemic started many years after that, but it, so it was maybe in part due to the pandemic, but having only 34% of the public trusting, uh, you know, the health system, not good. Fourth, were inspectors facing threats and harassment? So another NACCHO survey found that 335 of 583 local health departments reported a total of 1,499 incidents of harassment between March 2020 and January 2021, which is very disturbing. And then the last one is challenges with contact tracing and tracing foodborne illness outbreaks. So at the height of the pandemic, 41% of individuals surveyed by the Pew Research Center responded that they would not participate or would not be likely to participate in contact tracing activities if called by a local health department representative, which is also kind of sad. I mean, how much time, you know, would that really take if, if, if you could potentially be helpful? So moving forward, though, the review also identified strategies to ensure that food safety best practices are upheld. So first, fostering communication and positive relationships with food service establishments is critical for local health departments to better prepare for conducting food inspections during a public health emergency. So rebuilding trust can be done through clear messaging, collaboration, and stakeholder inclusion in decision making. 
And obviously, while virtual inspections were not prioritized throughout the pandemic, the review also suggests improving efforts to conduct them by bettering technology use, shifting from regulation to education, and reframing interactions between regulators and food service workers. So the review also included a fact sheet developed by the NACCHO's Food Safety Work Group with suggested strategies to conduct effective virtual inspections. And local health departments also stress the importance of conducting a hot wash or an immediate evaluation of performance following a major event. So the report suggested creating a hot wash template to help local health departments identify failures and successes regarding their operations during the pandemic. Now, I have never worked in a food service outlet before, but I can imagine that it's a little bit nerve wracking um, if you know that someone from the local health department is coming to do an inspection that day, Um, even, you know, before, during and after the pandemic. I think it is a little bit nerve wracking. So I really understand why they say to prioritize like this good communication and good relationship between food service establishments and local health departments, because you never want it to be like a hostile situation. Um, But of course, they're there for a reason and they have to do their job properly. But anyway, I I, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on 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 this review? Um, Are you surprised by any of those challenges that that I discussed? Um, You know, the public health distrust, um, inspectors facing harassment. These are things I, I never would have thought of. Goodness, yeah, I would not. I would not have thought of those things as well. Um, especially the harassment of um, health inspectors—that's uh, very concerning, very surprising. Um, and uh, you know, it, I, I'm, I feel so bad that they, you know, they're doing such an important job, and then that they're subjected to that kind of um, treatment. So it's, um, and I think that just ties into. Um, the other point that you brought up about the distrust of public health, and uh, that's also uh, probably you know part and parcel of um, of the uh, threats and harassment that the inspectors um, had been facing, and that seems to have significantly grown during the pandemic. And I think you know that kind of makes sense, just given the type of stressful time that was. But th- again, that's no justification for th- for that kind of uh, behavior. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I was quite surprised to hear that. And again, they have such an important job, and it's not an easy job at all. And I wonder if um, better practices can be put into place to to help inspectors and also both parties. I mean, you know, it's not like you were saying, Sydney. Like it's nerve wracking for you know just to have inspectors come into your establishment and conduct these. Um, uh, food safety uh, tests and evaluations, but it's so important because it's to protect the public and to help establishments also better their practices. So I think it's a win-win, but I think, yeah, communication is definitely key in order to bring both parties onto the same page and to kind of like make it seem as if they're working towards the same goal and that they're not against each other. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's for the greater good. The bigger picture here is that you want the establishment to succeed and in terms of food safety and you know the inspectors are there to help foster and aid in that so I think if maybe there needs to be a mental shift and that can come with communication for sure 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, no one, no one who is working uh, wants to be told, oh, you've been doing this wrong or this is unsafe or who taught you how to do, you know, no one wants to be blamed or accused of doing a certain thing. But of course, I mean, that's, that's what they're there for. But I don't think like that sort of inflammatory language is, is going to foster that healthy relationship. So it's true. It's really all about like that just healthy communication. We're working towards the same goal. We're not against each other. We're here to help. Um, that I think really needs to be um, a focus of this. And, and I don't know if, if that's even possible with human nature, um, if, <laughs> but hopefully it is. I mean, I don't know. It seems like everyone wants to start a fight for some reason or another, but yeah, this is, it's, for the, it's for the public safety. So it's, it's gotta be done. Yeah, I was also surprised when you mentioned like virtual inspection. Um, I didn't know that virtual inspections were ever done. Like it's kind of surprising. Like I can understand maybe in a restaurant that's kind of small and like when they handle food, but like in a big like grocery store, I'm just wondering like how would they even conduct a virtual inspection, right? It's, it's, um, I can understand like the challenges there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was their first question too. How how do we even do this? And it seems like one of those things that you really do want to, or it's better to have someone there to actually see it with their own eyes. Like I understand the mistrust um, in in doing these virtual inspections. It's not out of like, ugh, it's not out of laziness, you know. It's just out of like I I don't think they'd be able to get the full picture if if a person or multiple people weren't actually there. Um, yeah, especially with things that are larger, like grocery stores um, and just large restaurants. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you wouldn't want to do a virtual doctor's appointment when you have like something physical that you really need to get checked out. It's it's kind of it's kind of similar. I thought of it that way too. Yeah, technology can definitely help, um, but only if they implement it properly. Right, right, and it can be a jumping off point in in order to maximize time. Like, and then maybe a follow up in person uh, inspection would be necessary. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, if if it's done just on a whim, which which honestly, like, I I don't blame a lot of like the early technology that we saw in the pandemic because we had to make a switch really quickly, but we've been over two years, uh, you know, into it. So at this point, you'd think that the technology would, would be better. But that brings us to the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks everyone and see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.